This is Wiffer Karen, and I love listening to Will Write for Wine. Oh, yeah. This is Wiffer Mac, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. Hello, this is Wiffer Kim from Colorado, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. Yay! Hi, this is Wiffer Lily, and I'm listening to Will Write for Wine. This is Wiffer Don, and you're listening to Will Write for Wine. Hello, this is Wiffer Melissa, and you're listening to Will Write for Wine. This is Wiffer Wayne, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. This is Wiffer Ambroise, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. Hi, this is Knocked Up Wiffer Susan, and you're listening to Will Write for Wine. Cheers! Hi, this is Wiffer Renee, and you've made the excellent choice of listening to my girls, Sam and Lonnie, on Will Write for Wine. Hi, this is Wiffer Pimp, my mixer Pam, and you are listening to Will Write for Wine. Take it away, girls. Thank Thank you, Wiffers. Welcome to Will Write for Wine, a podcast about wine, writing, and song. But mostly wine and writing. Yes, this is Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Samantha Graves. And tonight's show is all about the Don't Look Down Draft. Yes, or watch Sam's head explode. (laughs) (laughs) Right, unfamiliar with the concept of not looking down is our dear Sam. Yes, I'm afraid of fights. Coincidence? I think not. But that's all later in the podcast. Wine comes first, so Lonnie, what are you drinking tonight? Ah, I'll tell you what I'm drinking. I'm drinking one of my all-time favorites, Barefoot Chardonnay. Mm. I love it. Um, it is, uh, oh, the wine notes I got. Mm. Very good. Tempting flavors of green apples and peaches, hints of honey and vanilla enhance the rich, buttery finish. That's a nice, those are nice wine Is notes. that nice, Very elegantly nice. written yes. Simple, wine notes. not trying Tells you what you're going to get. It's got the flavor of Madagascar spitting roaches in it. I mean, mm-hmm. nothing, you know, they're just like, got a little vanilla. Mm-hmm. Got a little butter, got mm-hmm. a little apple, little peaches. You know, it's all cool. nice, and nice and good. Um, anyway, it's 13.5% uh, alcohol. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is my favorite part. It's $9.99. <laughs> a Magnum, folks. Yes, I am not kidding. A Magnum. Barefoot Chardonnay, I officially declare the best value in, in good wine. I mean, I've only had their Chardonnay, and I've had their, um, I had their champagne at New Year's, which I really, mm. really loved. Um but I'm going to try everything else. Cool. I love them. cool. So um, my, you know, I just love these guys. Um, you know, the wine is dirt freaking cheap. So, you know, mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and the thing with cheap wines, like expensive wines, really, is that you take your chances. Oh, yeah. Um, but I have yet to be let down by Barefoot Bottle. Hmm. So I just got to say, I just, I, I really, um, I love them. So uh, I'm giving it five glasses. It's a awesome. good wine. Good. Nice and cool on a hot and muggy night yes. in central New York. Oh, my exactly. God, it's miserable today. It is. Mm-hmm. And since it is uh, over 90 degrees, out, mm-hmm. outside right now at like 7 p.m. Right. Oh. Yeah. yeah, I picked a white wine tonight. Ah. Yes, I'm having a chilled spring white from Bully Hills Vineyards in New York. Mm-hmm. From the bottle, thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> a fun, fruity white wine that makes a delicious addition to any occasion. Aromas of ripe white grapes arouse the senses, followed by mouth-filling fruit flavors and a clean, crisp finish. Sounds a little (laughs) naughty, doesn't it? So (laughs) it has 11% alcohol, which makes it the lightest wine I think I've ever tried. Mm -hmm. And at (gasps) $7.49 a bottle. The cheapest wine you've ever had. Yes. Not only the cheapest wine I've ever had, but cheaper than yours tonight. Well, actually, okay. (laughs) Technically... I need to correct you on that. I don't care. I don't care. No, Are I don't you care. A Magnum? It's this the dollar amount. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> per liter. Mm-hmm. Oh, All right, well. I'll let you have it. I'll yeah. let you have it. Yeah, That's okay. fine. But All technically right. mine is cheaper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so my notes, Bully Hill is one of my favorite Finger Lakes mm-hmm. wineries because mm-hmm. they don't take themselves or their wine too seriously. Right. Their mm-hmm. wine is meant to be fun and happy and their place is like that. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, you go on the wine tour there and it's a show and they have a great time. Yeah. And the owner mm-hmm. of the winery actually creates all the wine labels himself. Mm-hmm. He does all the artwork. It's really mm-hmm. cool. It's great. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know what's going to happen. I'm counting to five. Here we go. Cecilia's trying to kill her. Okay, on that note, mm-hmm. what's your rating? Go ahead with Four. your rating real quick. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take care of my screaming children. And uh, we'll come back for the B block. Okay. Hopefully with both my children still alive. Although, you know, I'm not really guaranteeing anything. <laughs> At Will Write for Wine, we want to make it perfectly clear that we do not encourage excessive drinking. Excessive drinking is bad. 
It hurts you, it hurts your family, it totally screws with your ability to put lipstick on properly, and we do not encourage it. A little drinking, though? Now that's a different thing. After all, wine is good for you, right? It's good for your heart, it's good for your cholesterol, it's loaded with antioxidants. And sometimes, when you've had a really long, exhausting day, and your kids are making you nuts, and your husband has forgotten to take out the trash again, and you start to become what some people might consider a little edgy, in that case, having some wine is a kindness. A public service, even. So just remember that we here at Will Write for Wine do not encourage excessive drinking. We do, however, encourage you to not beat your husband over the head with a garbage can lid, and if it takes a little bit of wine to prevent that, then we suggest a light Chardonnay. Welcome back. I'm Samantha Graves. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Will Write for Wine. Yes. And my children are okay. Oh, good. For those of you who are worried about them, um, they just had a little fight. Which usually, yes, results in the screaming and the crying and the drama. I have two drama queens. I have no idea how that happened. Oh, God. Because <laughs> you're you not two drama really. queens in one house. Yeah, you're not a drama queen. I, you know, I, I don't think that I'm really a drama queen. No. But I know that I obviously have an appreciation for drama. <laughs> so I think that I may, you know, inadvertently sort of encourage it in them. Uh-huh. Because they come in and they're like, ah, ah. And I'm like, all right. You know, and I do this big thing, and we go through this whole huge song and dance. And uh-huh. yeah, so, you know, inadvertently, ah. I, I might encourage a little bit of that behavior. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> but I just want everybody to know they're okay. They're in bed. They went to bed early. You know why? Because I just put the hammer down. I was like, it is podcast night. That's right. As soon as we got off the thing, I was like, do you guys not know what podcast night means? <laughs> it's the one night a week where mommy gets to have a glass of wine and laugh. And mommy needs this night. Okay. So as you can see, obviously, I'm a little dramatic. Yeah. <laughs> when I talk about podcast Because if night. mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. It's very true. It is true. It's very yeah. true. So yeah. now they're very sad and in their okay. rooms and going to bed early. And I'm happy because I got a glass of wine and my children are quiet. So it's good. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, well, today's question comes from Noblis from the forums. Mm-hmm. And Noblis writes, what do you look for in a beta reader? Where do they show up in the process of producing a book? What do you ask them to do? How do you manage them? And are they easier to herd than cats? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Lots of questions that's there, Noblis. Yeah, that's like a that's four for. I know. Mm-hmm. I five for. <laughs> So let's start from the beginning. All right. First, what do I look for in a beta reader? Um, Basically someone who gets what I write, you know, who is intelligent um, and who is not too nice to tell me the truth, Mm. you know, because trust me in writing, nice is is not good. Right. Right. (laughs) And I look for somebody who understands what I write and the market that I'm writing for, Mm -hmm. someone who can be brutally honest in a constructive manner, Mm -hmm. and someone who writes smiley faces next to the parts they think are funny. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. My editor writes I know. hearts yes. in the margin. I love, I that. love that. Well, you write a lot of funny stuff, but, you know, my funny stuff is kind of intermixed with people dying. So right. it's really important to me that the funny stuff actually works. <laughs> it's like tragic stuff. <laughs> tragic stuff. Yeah. Exactly. You know? So, know. yeah, it's mm-hmm. a very hard balance. So, okay. The next one is where do they show up in the process of producing a book? Mm-hmm. Um, I will give my beta readers the book when it's all written and it has had one revision. Right. The exception mm-hmm. is Lonnie, who usually reads it before it's ready to go to my betas, especially if I have a particular concern. Usually because I'm like, do you have any pages? Yeah. Do you have pages? Can you She's give me some very pages? Because I want to read it. Uh-huh. I am a pain in the butt. And <laughs> plus the first, the uh, I usually give her the first 20 pages or so right. because mm-hmm. they're so key. So right. I'll say and those pretty much as soon as I write them. So, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much the same thing for me. After I finish my Don't Look Down draft, uh, mm-hmm. I go through, edit what needs it, and send it out to my betas. So mm-hmm. that's usually how it goes. Mm-hmm. Except for, of course, Sam being the exception. Yeah. But, like, every time I write a page, I'm like, look, look how brilliant <laughs> and genius I am. And when it's, like, horrible, she has to be like, yeah, that's really good. You know. <laughs> it's never horrible. It never is. Yeah, sometimes is. it is. Okay, so... <laughs> All right, so what do you ask them to do? Ah. 
Oh, we asked them to jump up and down and right. then, yeah, spin three Various times yoga and, stretches. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, actually, this varies from writer to writer. Mm-hmm. Mostly, I, I ask them to look for plot holes, moments where characters um, are unbelievable and or annoying, you know, the big picture <laughs> items. Um, I can copy edit myself, and what I don't catch, the copy editor will, you know, so typos and that kind of thing I don't really care about. Um, mostly, I'm looking for big picture, picture stuff at this stage. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, For me, it depends on what I'm most concerned about for a particular book. Mm-hmm. Now, that could be plot line, it could be a particular character, it could be pacing, consistency, whatever. It will always vary mm-hmm. per, per book. And I will actually, you know, put kind of put those questions to my mm-hmm. beta readers and say, you know, kind of pay attention to this and how right. do you feel about this, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't need the small stuff either. So I'm definitely mm-hmm. looking at big picture also. Right, right. Yeah. All right. And the next question is, how do you manage them? Mm. You know, well, I'm, I'm sure Sam keeps all of hers in a spreadsheet. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Just. There's never a bad time for a spreadsheet joke. They are always funny. Um, I, you know, I've been writing a lot of books, about two a year, and that's a lot to ask mm. of someone. So I tend to cycle my beta readers in and out. Like, you know, I'll ask, uh, you know, for one book, I'll ask a couple of people, and then I'll have another set of people that I ask for the next book, you know, if I'm doing two a year or whatever. Um, with the exception of Sam, who <laughs> reads everything I want, whether she wants to or not. I'm like, here, read it. Tell me what you think. Um, I try not to force anyone to read, like, every word I write. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you can burn out a good beta by asking too much. If you're yeah. writing, you know, more than one book a year, I definitely get a couple of sets of betas that you can kind of mm. cycle in and out. They sound like fish, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> cycle but, the fish. In yeah. At first I thought feel like they sound like betas. fish like my husband. No, and I was beta like, fish. Like you know, the little betas that you can buy. Oh, the little beta fish. Yes. There we go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's really easy to kill betas. So you have to be very careful with them. Um, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. And you can't put two together. They'll like attack each other. And yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't know if, mm-hmm. if our betas would do that, but you know, mm-hmm. you just never know. <laughs> let's, let's certainly hope not. Um, no, I do not have a spreadsheet for them. I only <laughs> have three or four. And even uh-huh. with menopause, I can keep track of them. <laughs> right. Plus, I only write about a book every year or so. So it's yeah. generally not an issue of burning them out. Um, mm-hmm. My beta readers always seem excited and ready to read a new project. So. Oh, of course they are. Yeah. It's a new Samantha Graves. Are you kidding me? <laughs> We're all like waiting. We're like, wait a minute. Takes long enough to write one, and then they're really good. So, Thank all right, you. the last question: um, Are they easier to herd than cats? Mm. Oh yes. Have you ever tried herding cats? Oh Boy, yeah, you know? yeah. They're yeah. definitely, and you know what? They're the mm. best. It's yeah. you know, it's not like they're getting paid for this stuff. I know, they, and they're so great and so gracious, yes, and you know, they when are. you ask somebody to read a book, I mean, that's an that's investment. a commitment. It is right. That's you know, a big and, thing to and ask. they go through and read it. I mean, I have a couple of beta readers that I just. Uh, uh, they're so wonderful and mm-hmm. then, you know and I don't read as much for other people as other people read for me I know because I, I write I write two books too. a year and you know a lot yep. of books a lot of people don't and um you know and I just I don't beta read as much I don't feel like I give back as much as I, I hear get. you although we do so. do the podcast we do the podcast that count? very true so <laughs> yes absolutely I think the whole karmic balance I think Maybe. is okay for us because yeah. we do the podcast although I don't know considering how much we enjoy it I'm not really sure it's not like it's a big it sacrifice counts. on our part right <laughs> like, oh no, we got to do the podcast. Oh no, oh, it's Friday. Misery. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thanks for the question, Noblest. To get your question on the show, email us at feedback at willwriteforwine.com or leave them on the forums or send us an MP3 and you can hear your voice on the show, which has just yeah. made me remember mm? as we move into the next thing with Mac. Mac sent us an MP3 this week and I forgot to put it in. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Next week, Mac, it's going to be week. all you, dude. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> all right. And I speaking forgot, of. I was so excited. And speaking yes. of Mac. Yes. This week in the forums. Thanks, Thanks Mac. Mac. This week on the forums, the hot topics were Suck Knock 2008, Villains, Unsolicited Advice for Knocked Up Whippers, Wendy Socks, and the Stanley Cup, mm. which was apparently exciting for some people. <laughs> I myself have not followed hockey for years, so I have no idea. But yay, team that won. Uh-huh. So I, I don't remember. Sorry, guys, but woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> well, I grew up five minutes from Canada, and I OD'd on hockey long mm-hmm. ago. So probably because yeah. the season lasts like 52 weeks. 
I followed it for one year, and yeah. it did seem. And plus, the Stanley Cup, uh-huh. like the whole like tournament thing. Yeah, like, takes, that like is just everybody's in there. Oh yeah, everybody's it, it really, in there. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and also we have 146 members. <gasps> I can't believe it. I know that's I wonderful. Know. Oh, and you forgot the new Wiffer project, uh, which is to get you and me to a conference in Arizona. Oh right, I forgot so, about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. so go Wiffers. Very cool. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I'll go. I got family. In I'll, Arizona. Go. I'll go. I'll go. I used to live in Tucson. I love it there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so now it's time to take a short break, and we will be right back. Museum curator Jillian Talbot has a psychic gift that lets her see into the past, but she never expects it can make her a target to find a priceless treasure. To stay alive, Jillian must seek the help of a cynical Tomb Raider, but is he worthy of her trust? Simon Bonner wants out of the looting game. Instead, he finds himself tangled up in a deadly mystery and a woman who still believes in doing the right thing. As Jillian and Simon track the mystery deep into Mexico, their desire to stay alive and growing passion for each other makes every move a dance with danger. Out of Time by Samantha Graves. Available August 2008. Thanks for coming back with us. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And I'm Samantha Graves. And this is Will Write for Why. Yay. <laughs> Tonight, in honor of Sock Knock. Okay. And which... you know, y- you need to stop right there and explain what is Sock Knock. Because sock some knock people is... might be thinking other things. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't just me. Oh, that no. That kind of put the knock and socks together, right? Yeah. 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 yeah no, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, no, Sock Knock <laughs> is the, um, it's Southern Cross novel in a month thing. I don't know exactly uh, how they got sock knock out of that. I'm mm-hmm. sure that, that it makes sense. But anyway, it's um it's for the the in in November when everybody else in the world is to a NaNoWriMo. Mm. You know, it's like summertime for the people down in Australia, New Zealand and all those places. And so they don't want to be sitting inside writing all day, but now right. it's you know, getting into winter for them. So, um so that's when they do their uh their kind of southern Southern Cross Novel Challenge or mm. something like that. I think that's what it is. Okay. Um, so anyway, so a whole bunch of whiffers. There's a bunch that are uh, in the Southern Hemisphere that yes. are doing it, and there are a bunch that are not, that are just solidarity dudes. <laughs> right too. So, uh, so everybody's doing that. So in honor of Sock Knock, we are talking about the Don't Look Down Draft, which oh. is a method of approaching your rough draft that allows you to write as crappily as you want and not immediately fix it. Yeah, I don't do that. I mean, I, I write <laughs> as crappily as anyone. But I fix it as soon as I see it. Crappily. Yeah. Crappily. Anyway, for Sam and people like her, doing your rough in the uh, don't look down method may not be that helpful. Um, mm. It might drive you so crazy that you can't move forward. And, you know, that's no good. Right. Um, but that said, I think plotters can benefit from giving a don't look down draft a shot. You know, mm-hmm. um, if for nothing else than the ability to say you kiss that frog. You know, because I think you really have to kind of try everything in order to figure out what works for you and what doesn't. I don't think you can look at something and and just dismiss it out of hand and say it doesn't work for me Mm -hmm. without having tried it. Like, you know, you tried the nail last Mm -hmm. November. Yeah. And you you kissed that frog and did not have a pleasant experience. I killed that frog. That frog (laughs) got run over with Mm. a truck. So, yeah. But now you know. Now I know. Now you know what works for you and what doesn't, you know. But, uh, you know, but anyway, I mean, the whole purpose of the Don't Look Down draft is to get it on paper and trust yourself to fix it later. Yeah, which is no good for us plotters because we fix it all before we start. (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) Just perfect. It's not that Uh, one is better than the other. It's how you're wired. It is just how you're wired. It is. It's how you're wired. Oh, God. I have a feeling this is going to be another one of Sam's comic (laughs) relief shows. Okay, I got my bottle of Barefoot right here. It'll get me through. Yes, and I've got my wine so my head doesn't explode and make a mess in my office because I just cleaned it. So. <laughs> Pretty pink brains all on the wall. Anyway, uh, the problem with the rough draft for some people, obviously not Sam, probably mm. not you know some of the listeners, is that in an attempt to keep it from being really rough, you know, i.e., bad yeah. uh we as writers torture ourselves over every scene every word every bit of dialogue until we've written and rewritten and rewritten the same scene over and over and over again to the point where we want to stick a hammer claw in our eye you know <laughs> then we're just stuck unable to move forward unable to edit that one scene one more time without throwing ourselves out a window and the process becomes a big stinking torture you mm. know so this is where the don't look down drafting comes in uh those of you who have done NaNoWriMo or Sock Knock know what a what a DLD draft is basically it's when you take that 
that damned internal editor. You know, the one is always whispering in your ear about <laughs> that's against the rules or that's poor grammar. What kind of sicko are you? Anyway, and you take her and you throw her out the window for the length of the draft. You just write. You don't worry if it's good. You don't worry about rules. You just write and trust yourself that whatever you screw up, you will fix it later. <laughs> All the plotters just reach for the bottle. Right, <laughs> right there. They're like, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> I can't take it. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, and you know, there's so much that it comes down to, like the psychology of the of the mm. panzer versus the plotter. But I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's value to not holding yourself up to that gold standard all the time. And I mean, I'm mm. going to get to a lot of that later. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I, I think there's there's something to it psychologically. At least it definitely works for me. So anyway, let's go into the benefits of the don't look down drafting. You mm-hmm. know, for one, you got your speed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, as soon as I shut off, it usually takes me a few days into the Don't Look Down draft before I can really shut off the internal editor. And I have to have a few really bad patches of bad writing. I mean, everybody has weaknesses in the writing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, I've got weaknesses. There are mm-hmm. things that I do that I read later and I'm like, oh, God, that's bad. You know, and there's yep. some like turns of phrase that I use like mm-hmm. constantly. Or overuse. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. You know, and the and the beat placement, you know, he looks, she looked, he sighed, blah, blah, blah. You know, a sighing, nodding, looking, all that kind of stuff happens. My characters just do it nonstop. Yeah. And it's And so they smile annoying. a lot. Oh, they smile like my, mad. My characters smile like that. Yeah. A lot they of look, smiling. They turn. Mine turn all the time. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? We already know from the blocking that the person is behind me. If she turned around and talked to him, she's obviously turned. Like, you know, <laughs> I always have the turn in there. Like, she turned around. I do, know? too, though. Yeah, That's okay. You know, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it's just, it's part of it is a rhythm of the beat, you mm-hmm. know, that you're just getting something in there. Right. And that's okay to a certain, to a certain degree, it's sort of invisible, like, you know, said. Like, he mm-hmm. said, she said, whatever. But anyway, my point is that as soon as you let yourself, you embrace your weaknesses and just be like, you know what? <laughs> whatever it's an ugly mardi gras necklace of a, of a sentence but i'm gonna throw it on and just let it go you know <laughs> and um and once you're able to do that you really start making progress you mm-hmm. know you just kind of zip right through all the stuff because you're not stopping at every thing to make sure everything's perfect mm. you know plus the fact that it's never going to be perfect mm. i mean you know when i'm in galleys i just went through galleys on a book mm-hmm and this is galleys. Okay, galleys are, you know, you write your, your rough draft, you go ahead and do a revision, you send it to your betas, you do another revision, you send it to your editor, you do another revision, then hopefully that's it, but yeah. sometimes Sometimes not. there's another then, revision, yeah. Exactly, and then it goes to a copy editor who checks mm-hmm. it for, you know, all kinds of continuity errors and spelling errors. It comes back to you, you review it again. Then it goes to galleys. So by the time it's in galleys, oh, yeah. you would think that you'd caught all the crappy writing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. No, oh, no. Oh, uh-huh. no. Oh, and, no. you know, I still, I was catching a whole bunch of stuff in galleys. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. my God, for Christ's sake. You know, and I mean, the thing is that it's just, it, that's the way it is. Like, it's always going to be stuff. That you see, there's stuff in my printed books. You know, I look at them and mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, I can't believe that got through. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, even now. So, I mean, the, mm. you always, you always have stuff that you want to fix. But, right. you know, if you, if you just don't worry about it at this stage, at the don't look down draft, if you really literally do not look down, you just keep moving forward and get the story down, you know, get the, mm. get the core of the story down and don't worry about the little stuff. Um, so that's one of the big benefits is the speed. You start moving a lot faster. Um, another benefit of the don't look down drafting is um, that you have surprises, you know. Um, if you're a pantser, the whole book's a surprise. Wow, look at that. You know, um, that's the whole, <laughs> that's the thrill of being a pantser. Like, wow. You know, surprises, we'll take small ones. You're not a fan of surprises. Huh? I'm not um, a fan of big surprises. <laughs> like, oh, guess like, oh, what? that's my villain. You're writing a romantic comedy, not a romantic suspense. That's a big surprise. That is a big surprise. Um, And it's happened to me a couple Mm -hmm. times. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, the thing is, I think that when you you stop worrying about, like, everything and overanalyzing every little element of your book, then I think it kind of, it kind of frees up the um the girls in the basement to kind of you know send Party. send stuff up right exactly <laughs> you know to uh you to to come up with stuff and they feel freer and you're not so restrained you know mm. and you kind of start coming up with stuff that's a little crazy but the thing is that you know if if you let yourself go and trust yourself that you know your instincts are there that the girls are going to catch you if you fall you know I mean you could start putting some stuff in if it doesn't work you can always take it out later mm-hmm. if it's completely too insane and over the top you can always take it out later but you're never going to get it back if you shut it down to begin with you know mm-hmm. I mean it's sort of like there's a, there's a certain stage in writing that I call like the spaghetti on the wall draft where you know le- not draft but like the stage is kind of before they don't look down draft is the spaghetti part where you just throw everything you entertain every stupid idea that comes to you 
Yeah, you just entertain mm-hmm. it for a while. Just like a, you know, you throw the spaghetti on the wall and see if it sticks. Well, you know what I call it? Mm-hmm. Standing what? in the middle of the of the tornado, the hurricane. Right. Where all, mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that you have is spinning around you. You start right. just plucking stuff out right. and shoving mm-hmm. it in to see if it's going to work. Right, so, yeah, exactly. Same so thing, that's yeah. definitely definitely part of that. Yep. So um, so you get more surprises, I think, in mm-hmm. the Don't Look Down draft. And a lot of really good surprises, too, at least mm-hmm. in, in my experience is what that's been. Um, you also get a, a deeper immersion in the zone. Now, mm-hmm. anybody who's a writer knows what the zone is or should know what the yes. zone is. But some of you who are new may have not really um, found the word for it yet. But it's that where you're in the book and you're writing every day. You know, mm-hmm. you're in there every day and you're in this world and you're completely immersed in it. And, you know, you can sit down and write. It feels like five minutes, but actually an hour has gone by. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's that yeah. kind of thing, like where you're so in the book, you're so in tune with the book. You know exactly what's going on. Your head is in that book 100 mm-hmm. percent. So when you're in the zone, you know, that's that's the place you want to be. So okay. um, so I think that when you're doing the Don't Look Down draft. Um, at least in my experience, when I've really let go and just, you know, not looked down and gone forward, it uh, I've been very in the zone of the book, and I really feel like I understand that book. So, so you're there for that. Um, and also, my fourth one is releasing you into your manuscript, and I don't know what that means. Oh, no, 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 I know what that means. Okay. <laughs> I didn't write down the notes. I just wrote, like, the headlines. Like, releasing you into your manuscript. This is what yeah. I mean. You know how we're always talking about how you need to write the book that only you can write? Yes. When you stop editing yourself to be like everybody else, Mm. then you allow you into the manuscript. And Mm. since the element that is you, that is your unique perspective on this whole thing, on the world, on life, on everything, um, when you're in that that zone and the don't look down and you're just moving forward and you keep going, there's more of you that's going to get in there because you're not editing you out. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. okay. And All the right. fifth one, you forgot the fifth benefit of, of the don't look down drafting. Oh, no, that's yours. No, no spreadsheets. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, there's no spreadsheets. I've yeah. never. It's like spreadsheet sp- freedom. Spreadsheet. Yeah, okay. I can't, uh, I can't mm. do spreadsheets. You can't, you can't not look down. Although I, can't do spreadsheets. I have mm-hmm. seen, I do remember sticky notes somewhere. I, I will do sticky notes. On the wall. I will do sticky looks notes. A lot like a spreadsheet, spreadsheet. visually. But you know what? Huh. And yet it's not. It's huh. not a spreadsheet. I, I, there's something about getting into Excel and filling in all the little things, you know, that just I can't do it. I can't, you know, with this with the sticky notes, I just scribble something down. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Later, if it's not working, I just take it off the wall. <laughs> you know, whereas know. in it's Excel, called you got to do the whole thing. It's called the delete button. Well, <laughs> it's different. It's just it's different, different. Okay. Just trust it's more me. organic. Trust me, okay. I'm not forcing you to do a double down draft. Do not take your spreadsheets out on me. All right. So anyway, so um, basically, there's there's a couple of stages in don't look down drafting, and this is um, this is my personal take on don't look down drafting. I mean, essentially, and don't look down drafting. I think I think Jenny Cruzy coined it. I'm not sure who coined it. Um, the but I think it was when she was writing Don't Look Down with Bob oh. Mayer that she came up with it. I'm not sure who, who came up with it, but that was, she was the first person I heard it from. And I mean, essentially, all Don't Look Down drafting is is that you just go in, you do your rough draft, and you don't worry about anything, you know. And and this is more kind of my angle on how I do my Don't Look Down drafting. And this is because of all the frogs that I've kissed that have kind of come up with this way of doing it. But this is what works for me, so I'm going to share my experience and how I do it. But you know, obviously, you take what works for you and what doesn't. You just let it go. Um, but anyway, w- what it starts with for me is like pre-work, you know, and this is the phase where, you know, um, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking a lot, you know, I'm knitting a lot. Uh, this is the stage where my friends and family get wool socks for gifts in the dead of summer. Um, <laughs> you know, this is where I get to know my characters, my plot. This is your tornado. You know, everything's yes. whirling around. You start pulling things out. You know, I, I get to know the world of this book. And, you know, this is where I figure it out, decide what kind of tone I want to use. Do I want to go present tense? Do I want to go past tense? Do I want to go first person, third, limited or omniscient? You know, whatever. This is the time that those decisions are made. Um, I have jumped right into Don't Look Down Draft without this stage without thinking at all time of forget behavior real good example of that mm. <laughs> i didn't know until like the night before that i was even going to write you know and uh didn't decide had no idea what i was writing um you know but that was because i didn't know anything at that point i mean i couldn't have done any pre-work because i had no idea what it was you know? <laughs> <laughs> like you know when you're completely ignorant it's really really fun um 
But now, you know, I have just enough knowledge. I've kissed just enough frogs that, um, you know, that I, I can kind of figure some of this stuff out. I can kind of like, I, I know what I'm going to need later on. It's like packing for a trip. Mm-hmm. You know what you're going to need, so you kind of put it in the in the bag, you know, right, so you've got right. it when you're on the trip. Right. Um, well, and you know, this yeah. this mm-hmm. really is just plotting. I mean, that's what I consider plotting is actually the thinking, the well, you know, building I mean, the really, world, the doing the research, right. the reading, the kind of, you know, right. I mean, kind I of in limo, limbo, uh, limo. You're in a limo. And you're limo. Do- <laughs> Let's put a limo in the story. Hey, this isn't Don't Look Down. It's writer improv. Yeah. All right. um, but yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, it's plotting. Basically, you're plotting. Yeah, it is. I mean, it mm-hmm. definitely there is an there is an element of plotting in there. I guess I don't think of it as plotting because because um, I'm or at this world point building. I'm figuring out. Yeah, I'm like a yeah. world building. Like it's all this kind of stuff. I'm I'm figuring out what kind of tone I want. I'm figuring mm-hmm. it's not necessarily like all the stuff that happens and when it happens. Right. Like, when but I think the, of plotting, I think this happens and this happens and this happens and you've got mm-hmm. like every scene figured out. Whereas See? when I quote unquote plot, I figure out where I'm starting. And then I figure out where the turning point is. And then I kind of have some ideas of a couple of things that happen in between. But the rest of it mm-hmm. is all made up on the fly. Well, you know, because that's basically what I do. I mean, I figure out the main the main architecture of the story. I've seen your spreadsheets, Pumpkin. Yeah, but. You're like, scene one. <laughs> Hero. But that villain. I don't get right away. I don't build uh-huh. that right away. It takes a lot of time to get to okay. that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when so you the start spreadsheet writing. is not a tool to create plotting. The spreadsheet is so that I don't forget what I've created because I have no memory left whatsoever. You so know, it's so funny because the more like, we yeah. do this and the more we talk about it, like when we first started, you're like, I'm a plotter. I am pantser. Ah, you know, we went through this whole thing. But like, I don't think we're that different. We're melding. I know. <laughs> Invasion of the body snatchers. All right. So anyway, so my pre-work is you're plotting tomato, mm-hmm. tomato, whatever. Um, but anyway, um, so. Uh, uh, All right. During uh, the pre-work totally stage. Story. Okay. During the pre-work stage. <laughs> Shut up. All right. <laughs> during the pre-work stage, I actually do. I also do some writing. Um, mm. But I don't really consider it drafting, although technically you could call it that. I mean, drafting for me is when I'm putting the actual book together like Mm. scene by scene by scene by scene i'm piling each scene on top of the other and i'm building the whole book um you know i for me you know the kind of writing that i do in this pre-work stage is really discovery writing you know i mean Mm. i'll have a scene or a moment in my head a passage a beat a conflict whatever and i'll write it out usually in third person present you know betty says this liv says that etc um discovery writing is when i try on all the different styles i might want to do but i'm not really sure i mean i have the opening for the the book that I'm working on right now. I mean, I have like oh, various versions. I yeah. do. Well, no, oh, that's no, I'm not even talking about the ones before where it wasn't this story. I'm talking about since I've chosen this particular story. Like last year I wrote like 18 versions of the opening oh, all horrible. God. Um but um but no, this year since I've known exactly what this book is about and what it is that I want to write. I mean, I did one in omniscient, you know, mm. very silly kind of Terry Pratchett style. I did, you know, I did one in third person. I did one, in, you know, I've done them in like various kinds of first person. Do people ever to get that first scene down mm. you know to figure out what my first scene was so that's kind of like the discovery writing there's some stuff that I have like I'll have little snippets of scenes like the turning points mm-hmm. I always have a little bit of those you mm. know written out so I have kind of the core the heart of that scene sort of written out mm. and um, and saved in a, in, a, in a thing but I have the Microsoft OneNote which not oh. all that different from a spreadsheet yeah you know I think it's all just conceptual it's all just whatever yeah. fits in you know it's yeah. not that it's that different Mm. You know, as far as functionality, but it's like right. how how the concept is put together. Like the spreadsheet, I just well, can't handle. I think one of the reasons that I plot mm-hmm. is because I write romantic suspense, which has a lot of twists and turns in it. Right. And lately, I have to say, lately I have been using colored index cards. Right. To try to put that all together. Oh, mm-hmm. Yes, this clue mm-hmm. comes out, this clue comes out. It also, I think it kind of depends on what you're writing. You know, right. what mm-hmm. it is that you mm-hmm. write. You've, you mm-hmm. tend to find a style as you go yeah. mm-hmm. uh, based on what it is that you're writing. Yeah. I think that's true. I mm-hmm. think it's true. And I think, you know, I think it's your personality, too. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure that... Everybody has a different way of writing. Right. Everybody has a different angle that they go at it from. And um, especially in the early stages, there's just, I think once we get to the point where the don't look down draft is done, and we'll talk about this next week, like we're mm. in revision. Yeah. I think that it doesn't matter how you got there, you're there, and now you can go into revision. Revision is sort of a more, um, 
a universal process, I think, right. for most people. I think most right. people revise generally in the same way, you know. Mm -hmm. But it's the it's the drafting where, you know, you kind of have to set it to your personality and what works for you. Right. And, you know, I mean, I've written, what am I working on now? It's my 10th book, if mm. you include the collaboration, which I do because it's more work than a single book. Yeah. <laughs> it's more, bo it more work <laughs> than any book I'd written by myself. Um, wonderful. I learned so much. It was a wonderful experience, but still with a lot of work. So I count it. Um, but this is, you know, so this make this like my 10th book that I'm writing. And I'm just mm -hmm. getting all this down now. So yeah, it takes yeah. a while. Well, anyway, so once I've done some discovery and uh, gotten some idea of where I want the story to go, the turning points sort of start to fill in for me. You know, when I say fill in for me, you know, because that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I don't go after them. I don't try to write them. I don't think, okay, I have to write this turning point now. You know, I wait until they come to me, which is usually when I'm in, in the van driving to go grocery <laughs> shopping at Wegmans. I swear to God, it's always the same. I'm always or on the exact shower same or doing the dishes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I have this one stretch of road that I, that I drive on to go out to Wegmans and every time that's when I always get it that's when I always get the turning where point where is it because we'll all go <laughs> it's on 31 near the Olive Garden where we go when we go out to lunch so it's very exciting um, but anyway um so uh, I really, I, I know that I need the turning points, you know, mm -hmm. and as I think about the scenes in the book, I realize that they are turning points and then it's just kind of how it works for me. Um, but I don't really try to get them. I mean, they mm -hmm. just sort of, they, they come to me and I know where they go. Um, and I didn't do this also up until about three books back. So, you know, I'm just, <laughs> uh, you know, it's been a huge help for me since I started them. Mm -hmm. um, also during the pre-work stage, um, I, <laughs> you know, I cheat a little bit. I do. I write and uh -huh. rewrite and rewrite the opening scene until I've got oh, it down. Yeah solid and it's not perfect you know we'll go through more revision but that the core of that scene is what it's going to be you know mm. um and uh, you know i know i know it's not drafting well, yeah, kind of but I, I see it as building the launching pad from which i will jump into my don't look down draft you know Mm. Um, the thing with an opening scene is that it is so freaking pivotal to get that right. You know, you get the the wrong tone, the wrong POV, the wrong anything. It'll leak into the rest of the book and screw it all up. Mm. So, and then you have to go back and rewrite everything. So, you know, it, it just gives me way more than I want to be fixing after I'm done with the Don't Look Down draft, you know. So, um, so once I've tried on all the hats and figured out where I want my tone to be, I draft the opening scene and then painfully rewrite it and revise it until I've got it whipped into a decent launch pad again yes. doesn't have to be perfect but yeah. yeah but that opening scene is different from everything else in the book it it has its own set of rules it does and it it's, really does gosh it is the hardest thing hardest. i mean i and it's two ways more time. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. two ways either it goes down word for word from the moment that you that you see it in your head right mm -hmm. or you revise it hundred times. Yeah, there's no, like, I've, it goes one way for me. It yeah. goes one way for me. I revise it hundred <laughs> times. I am trying to think of an instance in which the opening scene <laughs> that I started with is the I, one that went in the book. I've had, um, I've Not actually a had a couple of books that Oh, Exit Single Girl. Oh, there you go. See? I have one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I've actually had uh, probably, uh, let me see, I have seven books. I would say probably four out of the seven, mm -hmm. those opening scenes went down word for word. Right. Just mm -hmm. about what you see. So wow. Sometimes you just get, you know, like yeah, handed so to you on you a silver platter. <laughs> Thank sometimes you. you do. I'm not one of those people. I got <laughs> 10 books under my belt and one of them had the opening scene just there. One of them. And uh, hmm. I think it did. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So, um, so anyway, once you've got that, you know, once I've got the opening scene, once I've got, you know, all that pre-work done, then, you know, I'm, I'm ready for drafting, you know, and mm. this is what I get right down to it. I actually, I get up at 4am and yes, I'm serious. 4am that works for me. I'm not saying you should do it. This is just what I do. There's something about getting up, um, at four o'clock. Nobody wants anything from me. The kids are not awake. You know, mm. there's nothing else for me to do. It's not like at 4 a.m. I can run errands or anything. You know, I mean, it's basically just me and the computer. <laughs> and also that part of my brain that will edit me, you know, mm. and tell me that I suck is kind of still sleeping. Mm. <laughs> you know, at that point. So I just get up and I start writing. And it really works. I mean, I, I you know, I stick my headphones on, fire up the soundtrack, start writing the tune of about... 2,000 words a day. Mm. Um, you know, the first couple of days are slower because I'm still trying to write well. You know, I'm still worried about whether it's, you know, going to be any good, about the lame beat holders, the bad dialogue, crappy description. You know, I rewrite a lot. But this is just the rev up time, you know, when I'm getting my engines going. Every time I catch myself wanting to go back and fix something, I force myself to leave it as it is. Mm. And the first time is so hard. <laughs> 
it's so hard to not fix it. But I force myself to go on. And then it, eventually, you know, it becomes easier and I move faster. But, you know, first it's, it's a little slow. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is as you said that, now mm-hmm. I know why I have to fix it. Mm-hmm. Because if I leave it, I'll forget about it. I just really <laughs> well no but the thing is okay here's the thing this is like necessity I worry about forgetting too mm-hmm. I worry about forgetting a lot and mm. you know because I have no memory and it's only getting worse as I'm getting older oh yeah but here's the thing is that I I've decided at a certain point like that if I forget it it's not supposed to be fixed or it's not supposed to be in there you know uh. because if it's really truly bad then, you know, when I read it the next time, I will cringe you know if it's no, truly I, truly I, bad I, I, I'll cringe but I will remember bad, how to fix it <laughs> look at it and you fix it. I mean, you're a writer. You look at no, a bad passage. I'll forget. You can I'll fix think, it. oh, yeah, I know how to fix this. And then I'll forget how to fix it. Oh. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. No, and I, besides, no, I think that you're a good writer. If you're a good writer, you can look at something and figure out how to fix yeah. it. Well, if it needs and, fix it, if it's bad phrasing, you can go yeah. in and fix phrasing anytime. You know? Yeah. But, well, anyway, and yes. it, the only way I'm getting up at 4 a.m is yeah. for a smoke detector. Right. Just so like you I know. said, not for mm-hmm. everybody. As a matter of fact, yeah. I can say, I think without exception, mm. that everybody I know who I've told about my 4 a.m. thing mm-hmm. has said, that's insane. There's no way I would ever do that. I am the only person <laughs> I know that does that. And you know what? That's fine. That's my frog. Go kiss your own frog. Go figure mm. out what is, find that's something that works right. for you. Work it at midnight. Some people like to work at midnight and work mm. until like, you know, I mean, there were times when we were working on the collaboration where I would be getting up in the morning and Jenny would be just going to bed. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Chrissy had totally normal hours. <laughs> she was completely normal. You know, Jenny and I were the ones who were the freaks. So, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, there were literally times where I got up in the morning, I'd get in the chat room and she'd be there from the night before. Oh my god, that's crazy! <laughs> so you know, kiss your own frog yeah. and figure out what goes what goes uh, what goes for you. But mm-hmm. um, but anyway, you know, back to the whole thing about allowing yourself to be a bad writer. I mean, this mm. is complete genius, and I'm gonna tell you why. At least in my experience, um, is that this is when I really do my best work, and I'm not talking about my best short game. You know, because the short game is like the phrasing, the, the right. you know, the, the prose and the, how everything works together and, that you know, that kind of stuff. But I mean, long game, as far as like your plotting and your character motivation and all that kind of stuff, this is when I really do my best work. And this is when I get my best surprises, the things that the girls just throw up at me. I'm like, oh, my God, this is perfect, you know. Um, there's something about shutting down that internal editor that opens me up to all the possibilities, all the spaghetti, you know, mm-hmm. good and bad. And taking that judgment out, you know, really wide the scope of my playing field so um which brings me to an aside now hold on to your hats i'm about to preach oh wait refill hold on (laughs) (laughs) okay go all right (laughs) as writers we worry way too much we worry Mm. if we're good we worry if an agent will pick us up. Once we or have keep an agent, us. right? Exactly. We worry that the agent won't be able to sell the book. Once we've sold the book, we worry that it will fail. Once it's out there in the big bookstores, getting beaten up to pulp by Sophie Kinsella and that twelve-year-old kid who wrote Aragon. You know, <laughs> I mean, once we hit a list, we worry about whether we're going to hit again. Mm. We worry about th- what other people think of us. We worry about what we think of ourselves. It's a freaking nightmare. Yeah, and it'll make you crazy. Listen to episode six. Right. Exactly. Yes. That's the source of all the writer crazy mm-hmm. in episode six. Yeah. So okay, now I'm gonna to share a little bit all right Mm. this last year has been really hard for me Mm -hmm. I mean I wrote three books last year and I love them all but they were hard my books you know keep coming out they get great reviews but they don't sell great you know I'll tell Mm. you I'll be honest about it right now I'm not hitting any lists you know the numbers they're not good um you know but it's okay I mean you can't control that yeah uh, well right you know but I mean that's it's but it's one of those things that you can't control it but people torture themselves over it all the time and you're still held accountable for it exactly that too which really sucks but and yeah it's true you know but um you know i'm currently off contract right now and there's no guarantee that i'm ever going to sell another book Mm. you know things have been hard i mean Mm. the one thing i've always held on to is this really strong belief that i am a great writer you know Mm. and that's what's kept me afloat that no matter how badly my books tank (laughs) (laughs) i'm talented (laughs) i'm good at what i do everything i write is genius you know but you know what i mean that's crap too you know and not that i'm not a great writer because i am and you, you know? are yes be proud and so are you and someday <laughs> i'll you. get you to admit it but the <laughs> fact <laughs> the fact that i need to be great in order to feel like what i'm doing has worth 
Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, you know, my ego was so tied in to being a great writer, you know, that finally allowing myself to write poorly was this huge torture because being a great writer, since by all external accounts, was a complete failure at the box office, you know, (laughs) was like all I had, (laughs) you know, like I can't sell a book, but I'm so good. The books that nobody reads, they're great, you know, (laughs) and um, (laughs) so in order to write badly, like I had to give up the one thing that I had, which was that I was a good writer. It was all I had left, (laughs) you know? Yeah. And 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 that's a necessary part of, of writing, torture. Right. Because, exactly. and no one chooses this life, believe us. You know, right. it chooses you. Right, right. <laughs> it's very true. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, the thing is that once I finally um, accepted, you know, that I didn't have to be a great writer every time I sat down, like that mm-hmm. I could I could write a bad passage, you know, and, and that was okay. Um, it's like the whole world opened up, mm. you know, because here's the thing. You are who you are. Good person, good writer, bad driver, bad cook, you know, whatever. <laughs> the whole package of you is just what it is. And that's fine. You know, needing to be great, needing to be a bestseller, needing to do any of the gazillion things in order to feel like you've earned your space on this rock is just faulty thinking, you know, because the second you achieve one of those things, something else will crop up in its place and tell you you're not good enough. You know, mm. it'll make you feel like you're not good enough. So if you're looking to writing to make you feel like... <laughs> Exactly. She laughs. To feel good about yourself, forget it. Right, exactly. <laughs> Writing is not going to do that for you. Although if you do it right, it will. And that's what yes. I'm going to get to. Yeah. But, um, you know, so, so the point is, like, external success means nothing. You know, you have to choose what makes you successful enough for you. Right. Now, this yeah. is not to say that having goals isn't necessary. You have mm-hmm. deadlines, resolutions, personal writing goals, etc. Mm-hmm. Those you need. That's part of the business. Yeah. What Lonnie is saying are the other things, the things that you can't control. Right. And yes. and it's also different. Like there's there's deadlines, there's life, there's goals, mm-hmm. there's things you want to do. And that's fine. Right. Yeah, I got, I got no truck with any of that. That's all fine. Mm-hmm. My thing is is that there's and so many of us do it, and it is really where writer crazy comes from, is that we we define ourselves through our writing. Mm. And we have to be, um, this is where a lot of the writer jealousy comes in. Mm. We have to be better yep. than somebody else in order to, be, to have value. We have to be um, more successful. We have to be hitting lists. If somebody else hits a list, somehow they've taken our spot. You know, somehow, because they're successful, they've stolen what is rightfully ours. We work harder. Our writing is better. Blah, 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 whatever. You know, all that crap. There's so much crap that goes into the psychology. And it's because people, when they become writers, um, a lot of times start defining themselves through the writing. And, you know, and that's real easy to do. And you know what? I'm not throwing stones in a glass house I'll tell you right out totally you know mm. <laughs> my ego has been completely involved in my writing for really it's also long been time. completely shattered <laughs> right exactly you know and um and you know and that's and that's all okay you know but mm. uh, um, I think you need to realize that and you need to let it go mm. you need to not torture yourself about you have to be perfect all the time you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's that perfection thing. Like, you just, you are okay. The fact that you want to write, that you want to sit down and write, that you're going to do it, you know, good. Go go for it. Go for that. And you know what? If your first book sucks, so what? <laughs> write a second book. <laughs> you know? Um, write it until you get it right. 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 Yeah. You know? And, if, and if, if that passage, if you're writing a book and that passage sucks, it doesn't mean that you're a bad writer. It doesn't mean that, you know, your entire sense of self is somehow being threatened. You're writing because it's a joy. You're writing because it's fun. And that's what you got to do. I mean, you know, you have to decide what makes you successful for you, what defines Mm. that for you. And, you know, for me, I am successful because I love what I'm writing right now. You know, I mean, it may not ever sell. And if it doesn't, don't worry, I'll self-publish it and tell you where to find it. (laughs) Download it as a PDF. I don't care. I'm publishing this book one way or the other. I don't care. Um, But, you know, 
if it doesn't sell, if nothing happens with it, that's okay because I love writing this book. I'm having such a great time writing it. I mean, I have books in my backlist that have been published, that have been out there that I did not love writing. You know, they were not fun. I did them because I had to, because I cashed a check that I didn't want to give back. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote them and I'm proud of them, painful as they were. You know, I still think they're pretty good. But if any of them had hit big, that would not be a success for me because creating them was not joyful. Hmm. Now, for me, successful is writing what makes me proud, books Mm -hmm. that mean something to me and have something important to say. And I think you have to look at your writing and say, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it? What is what do I expect from this? What am Mm -hmm. I you know, what am I looking for besides what you're going to get for money or fame or any of that? And and this whole thing about, you know, people are going to respect me once more. That's not. Yeah. No, nobody's. If people don't respect you now, they're not going to respect you later. You know, um, the, all these things that people, you know, you want some kind of external. You want um, external things to tell you that you're good and that you're. You know, I mean, there are people who write perfectly crap books that are bestsellers. You mm. know, and if that, if you get your definition through that, you know, I mean, the, you can't, you can't base it on that. You know, mm. there's great books like mine that sell like crap. You know, hey, life goes <laughs> on. Right? I mean, so sales, sales are not the barometer no. of what makes a good writer. And, no, you know, it's and just a crapshoot. Exactly. That. And you know And you what? have no control over sales. Exactly. You have control over the book. You do. You have, you have control the over content the of the book. And how you go into that, how and, you go into writing it. And, mm-hmm. and really, that's the only thing in this business that you mm-hmm. have control of. You don't have control of the cover art right. or, mm-hmm. or the title or how or it's it distributed exactly. or who yeah. picks it up or mm-hmm. any of that. Mm-hmm. All you have control over is the content. And right. you have to be, make the content mean something to you. Exactly. And that is the only thing that matters. And that is success. Mm-hmm. Once you've done that, everything else is just a game. It's yeah. just going to a casino and rolling the dice. You yeah, know? it is. Everything else is a game. The thing that matters is that you love what you do. I mean, in the end, with writing and everything you do, everything, I don't care what it is, you do it for the joy of it. You know, not to feed your ego, mm-hmm. not to feed your sense of self because that's external that has nothing to do with you you know you are fine the way that you are you are absolutely fine you don't need to prove anything to anyone you are fine if you do the writing you do it because it brings you joy you know I mean I believe that I'm a good writer but I don't need to be you know the one like at risk of losing my sense of who I am as a person you know I mean write for joy not for ego not for self you know and uh, question anything anything that you do whether it be writing or whatever that you do for the sake of you know um getting approval externally or you know feeling like you you know you've done something like oh i've written a book that makes me important because if it's external it's never going to be fulfilling and the second you do it it's there's going to be something else out there that you have to accomplish because you're still not good enough you know if you feel you're not good enough to begin with then you're not going to be good enough when you finish you know, mm-hmm. you've got to be good enough to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you already have everything you need. You are good enough as you are. It's a waste of time to chase self-worth. You already have it. It's just a matter of whether you see it or not. Mm. So, you know, preaching's over. <laughs> it's a very long thing. <laughs> I know. I'm almost out of wine. I know. But I've gone, through, I've gone through a lot of hell this year. <laughs> and this is what I've learned. And I'm sharing it so that there you, you don't go. have to go through that. That's right. Because, you know, I mean, it's just that... You, you're fine the way you are. You're fine when you start out. Writing does not make you a better person, but the joy of the experience gives you something that is meaningful to you. It's and that that's, that's all that matters. Everything else is a game. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Anyway, right. my whole point <laughs> is let yourself write crap. Mm. Let yourself write bad, bad, bad prose. And don't worry about it. You can go back. There is nothing that you can write that you cannot go back and fix later, you know. Mm-hmm. But you want to be able to get that draft down. Yeah. And you go through with speed. You open up your girls. You got your spaghetti on the wall. You're having fun and you're having a joyful experience. That is what really has meaning. Mm-hmm. So. And anyway, this is yeah. especially mm-hmm. true for people who say, oh, I started a book four years ago. Right. And mm-hmm. I haven't, you know, really... It will stop a lot of writers. Right. Well, because right people in are their afraid. Tracks. They're, They're afraid, afraid of you writing a bad book. You look at that blank mm-hmm. page. Mm-hmm. And I do this too. I'll get right. like, you know, I'll get halfway through the book. 
mm-hmm. chapter 16. Right. Mm-hmm. And I look at that blank page, and I'm like, I can't do this. And right. then all of a sudden, you know what? You say, just shut up, just do it. Mm-hmm. And you start writing. Right. And it happens. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So for all you plotters out there, give it a shot. Mm-hmm. You never know. Or, or <laughs> you know, what will happen is you may uh-huh. come up with some kind of weird matrix between pantsing and plotting. Mm-hmm. But you won't know until you try. So give it a right. shot. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and the thing mm-hmm. is, is that you find yourself with a finished book. That's all you that know, matters. That you've, Doesn't you've matter how you got that. there. Exactly. You know, it's like the win-loss, you know, column mm-hmm. of the football team. Right. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how you played. Right. If you got the W in there, right. that's all that matters. You so. got it in there, and yeah. you did the accomplishment. You had the experience. Yeah. You know, and you got it done, and then you can move on, and you can go from there. And there's nothing you can't go back and fix. Mm-hmm. You know, but when you give yourself permission to write badly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think generally my experience is that the books have been better for it when I've given mm-hmm. myself permission to write badly. And I think there's something about that. There's something about being willing to risk that because what is it it's that sense of ego that says oh i wrote a book that's so much better than you know mm-hmm. what anybody else could write or whatever you know, you know my I, book well, is so much better like, and what i does think that mean that doesn't mean well anything. and i think that's something that is also a life lesson too mm-hmm. um when i was running a lot uh, before mm-hmm. i had kids and i weighed yeah. 100, mm-hmm. 100 pounds and i ran 30 miles mm-hmm. a week um i would do races mm-hmm. and I never cared about beating somebody who was in front of me. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. All I cared about was beating my personal best time. Right. Mm-hmm. I was competing against myself. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it that way, and if you stay within your own world, and, mm-hmm. and you write the best book that you can, yes, you may look at it five years from now and say, you know what, I could do so much better right now. Right. But it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You wrote the best book you could write at that exactly. time. Exactly. You only Mm -hmm. should measure yourself against yourself in this business. If Mm -hmm. you don't do that, Mm -hmm. you will become crazy. Guaranteed. It will will make you crazy. It'll make you miserable. You need to to suck all the life. Yeah. Uh, It'll suck all the joy you have for writing. Everything else is a game and it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Everything else is a game. But, you know, at the end of You Don't Look Down Draft, Mm -hmm. you're going to have a finished book Mm -hmm. and it's going to be imperfect and that's Mm -hmm. okay. You know, and you can go back and you can move on and do a revision, you mm-hmm. know, which we'll be getting to next week. Yes. <laughs> Yay, revisions. <laughs> and I'll bet you'll never hear those words again. Yay, I revisions. Know. You know. You're excited about that because that's the part that you're really good at. Whereas I'm like, eh, revisions. <laughs> you're like, oh, I'll read the galley tomorrow. I'm like, what? Exactly. <laughs> what day? Well, it's like to do galleys in one day for crying out loud. Oh, dear God. <laughs> All right, I think you need another drink. Yeah, me too. All right, uh, that wraps up another interesting and informative and very long C block. We've earned Uh a refill, and so have you. (laughs) We'll be right back. Emmy James is not the kind of girl who attracts angels. In fact, since she sent her life into a nosedive six years ago, she's tried to attract as little as possible attention, people, or responsibility. She lives alone in an Airstream trailer, going from job to job, wherever the wind takes her. And that works just fine. Until one day, two unexpected visitors show up at the New Jersey trailer park she currently calls home. One is a childhood friend with news. EJ's mother and his father are getting married, and they want EJ at the ceremony. The other is a sweet but odd woman named Jess, who says she's an angel specializing in cosmic relationship mending. And blueberry pancakes. A Little Ray of Sunshine by Lonnie Diane Rich is a story about lost love, found angels, and the power of blueberry pancakes to fix almost anything, including the mother-daughter relationship that no one thought could ever be mended. A Little Ray of Sunshine is available now, wherever books are sold. Get your copy today. Thanks for coming back. I'm Samantha Graves. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Will Write for Wine. Do you like winning the lottery? <gasps> I do. We have something close. Just head on really? down to willwriteforwine.com and give us some feedback. We're looking for questions, wine, wine ideas, or just general commentary on the show. All right. Yes, each month we pick one lucky winner from all the wonderful people who actually talk to us, and then we Mm -hmm. give them a special prize. And who knows, next month's winner could be you. Yeah. Speaking of which, the May winner for an official Will Write for Wine refrigerator magnet and a signed copy of our BFF, Adrian Pierce's Small Fire CD, is Al Beth. 
Beth. Beth. L-B-E-T-H. Yeah. Right. From mm-hmm. the forums. So congratulations, Elbeth. Yeah. For June in honor of Sock Knock, which is a lot like <laughs> NaNoWriMo. <laughs> You're still thinking of Sock Knocking, right? <laughs> Dirty mind. It's not me. It's the wine. Oh, right. <laughs> I have signed copies of my nano books, Taiwan for Good Behavior and Maybe Baby. Cool. Cool. To enter, it's easy and fairly mindless we know how <laughs> wine affects these things right. just get active on the forums or send us email at feedback at willwriteforwine.com or comment on our website we will announce the winner on our first july show right oh <laughs> so send so in close your to comments get a now <laughs> <laughs> whoops up next we have uh dun 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 dun, dun, dun. dun. <laughs> <laughs> why can't we get that right we screw it up every week. You, th- you know, we should practice that in the off hours. Oh, man. Weekly weigh-in. Oh, yeah. Salani, how'd you do this week? Uh, you know, pretty good. I wrote a little more, although I'm not quite up for the Don't Look Down drafting yet. I'm still kind of mm. in that pre-work stage. I've written, like, the first 20 pages, and I yep. need to kind of really get into it. Cool. Uh, there's still some final bits of discovery that I'm still putting together, so I'm waiting for that to kind of fall into place before mm. I, I get moving. So how about you? Oh, well, I have decided to go to college part-time to get a degree in anthropology with a concentration in ancient history, ancient civilizations, archaeology, and psychology. Does any of this sound Uh, familiar? Right. (laughs) Basically, it's everything that I've written in my books that I Mm -hmm. find fascinating, and I have decided that that's what I would like to do. I think that's so cool. Uh, I'm so excited about that. Thank you. (laughs) And my muse. My muse Uh, needs fodder. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'm very that's excited. So cool. I am so excited for you, too. I think that's just the coolest thing. And then, you know, when you graduate, you'll be graduating the same year that your um My your, son your will son. be graduating. Right. So your kids will be done with college. You'll graduate. You'll be like, screw I know. this job. And you can go off on a dig. I'm so excited. <laughs> I think it's the coolest thing ever. You could come with me. Your kids will be older then. You know, if you yeah. go on a dig, dude, I'm coming with you. <laughs> They'll be teenagers then. I'll be like, get me out of the house. <laughs> They'll be kicking you out of the house. <laughs> no. Be like, bye. Bye. I'm going to Ur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time for our weekly challenge. Every mm. week at the end of the D block, we will do either a killer word or the wine card challenge that's highlighting our vast ignorance uh, and hopefully yeah. making y'all feel better about yourselves. This week, it's killer word. Go for it, Sam. What do you have for me? Okay. My word for you is fascinerous. Oh, for crying out. <laughs> Let me turn up my volume. What? Fascinerous. Fascinerous. Uh-huh. Oh, for crying out. <laughs> T-H-I-N-E-R-I-S-C-E. Whatever it is you said. No. Fascinerous. Fascinerous. What is with an F? Yes. Oh, well, I screwed that up pretty quick. Yeah, what? You gonna what guess? Gonna, you gonna oh, guess? I have to. Oh, I have to come oh, up yeah. with what it means. Well, yeah. I can't. <laughs> I don't. Okay. <laughs> the cinerous. The phosphorescence of beetles. I have no idea. <laughs> I like that though. Well, thank you very much. It's F A C I N O R O U S. Oh, for it, crying out loud! It means extremely wicked. <gasps> Don't I you love it. Love it. <laughs> I forgive you now. I love it. And that came courtesy of Karen Pico. Thank you, Karen. Oh, Karen, awesome. Facinerous. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's isn't really that a good. great that's word? Really good. I, I just love loved it. it. You know, because of the I wine and it. stuff tonight. You know, because it was I like know. a rousing wine. So yeah. Right. And sock knock, so. Mm-hmm. And sock knock. There you go. <laughs> Extremely wicked. All right, um, so you ready for mine? Yes, I am. Okay. Hobbledy hoy. D. Hobbledy hoy. All right. H O B. Hob. Oh, there's an L in here somewhere. Hold on. Hobble. All right. H-O-B-A-L-D-E-H-O-Y. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> What's your definition? <laughs> and it would be somebody who 
rides a horse and says hi. Hobbledy hoy! <laughs> oh man, that is extremely creative. It's much better than my phosphorescent beetles. I All like right, the um, phosphorescent well, beetles, so. Thank you very much. I do appreciate that. Hobbledy hoy. H O B B L E D E H O Y. Hobbledy hoy. Oh, so close. And it is, you were close. Um, an awkward, gawky young fellow. Interesting. I thought that was kind of neat. And yeah. I actually found this one all on my own because we forgot until the last minute. <laughs> and I have all these emails from Stacy with like tons of words in them. And I just could not find the right one. So mm. I just went I just went to like the word of the day on one of these sites. I was like, oh, hobbledyhoy. <laughs> that sounds funny. It's just one of those words that when you say it, it just sounds funny. Hobbledyhoy. I love it. Yeah. I think it's great. I yeah. like it. So. All right, well, there you go. Another humiliating deep block for oh, your yeah. host. And mm-hmm. we're going to go drink our sorrows away. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Well, the show's almost over, and I'm sure you're really sad about that. But now you don't have to wait another week to hear from Sam and Lonnie because we've got websites open 24-7 and ready when you are. Morning, noon, or night. For Lonnie, be sure to stop by the newly redesigned LonnieDianeRich.com where Lonnie's latest books and news will be regularly updated. Right, Lonnie? Also, don't forget to drop by dogsandgoddesses.com, where Lonnie is collaborating live on the web with New York Times bestsellers Jennifer Cruzy and Ann Stewart. It's like a reality show with writers, which is really much more interesting than it sounds. So check it out. For more information on Sam, click your way on over to samanthagraves.com for her latest news and giveaways. I think she's better about updating. Yeah, that's right. There are also links to her blog her MySpace page, and the website for her alter ego, C.J. Barry, author of award-winning futuristic romances. And don't forget to stop by at willwriteforwine.com for links to our joint MySpace page, our cafe press store, and all the cool things we talk about during the show. By the time you're done with all that, we'll be back in a new podcast next week. Everybody plays and everybody wins. Well, it's time for last call here on Will Rape for Wine. We hope you had as much fun as we did. Yes, as long as it's legal. <laughs> Don't forget to send your wine suggestions. Or questions. Right, because we give away prizes, and prizes mm-hmm. are fun. Oh, yeah, and free. <laughs> yes. The email address is feedback at willwriteforwine.com, and the forums are at willwriteforwine.com slash forum. Right, we are nothing if not easy mm-hmm. to find. And now we've got our final words of wisdom to carry you through until our next show. Sam, what do you have? My words of wisdom this week. Writing starts with the care and feeding of your muse. Research, try something new, get off the cow path, and give your muse something to work with. Oh, very good. Yeah. Good stuff. I really mm-hmm. like it. All right, I'm just going to reiterate my big preachy bit from the C block. Right for the joy of ah. writing, that's feed your ego. <laughs> All right. so I, I already preached a lot. I don't want to yeah. preach anymore about anything else. So, okay. <laughs> Well, next week's show is on revisions. I can actually contribute to that one because I do revise a lot. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. We'll let her take that one. I'm going to sit back and be all wise-assy. <laughs> so until next time, this is Lonnie. And this is Sam saying if you can't write for money. And write for why. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Will Ride for Wine is brought to you each week by Lonnie Diane Rich and Samantha Graves. Be sure to hit the website at willwriteforwine.com where you can find great links to everything in the show, news about what the girls are up to, and links to great cafe press merchandise like t-shirts, hats, and mugs. I like the apron myself. Also, don't forget to friend them on MySpace at myspace.com slash willwriteforwine. Music provided by the good folks at the Podsafe Music Network, music.com podshow.com and if you enjoyed the podcast please tell your friends and go vote for Lonnie and Sam at Podcast Alley or write a glowing review at iTunes remember there's good karma out there vote for them at Podcast Alley come back next time as Johnny Depp's soulmate or perhaps Colin first mmm ring any bells or you know the, the soulmate whoever does it for you you get the point anyway thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time right here on Will Write for Wine down on my caffeine consumption so when i get up i just have one cup of coffee and i like to have another cup of coffee with my breakfast and on the way to work